You're listening to Nostalgia Be Damned. Hello, everybody. My name is Zach. I'm Brandon. A.K.A. DJ Pigeon Boy. (laughs) You're listening to Nostalgia Be Damned, the show where we take some of your favorite movies from the 1990s to the early 2000s, early to mid-2000s, I would say, and we look at them objectively, take off some of the rose-colored glasses you might be wearing about these movies, and throw bricks at them from a five-story building. (laughs) Four, to be exact. Four or five. It doesn't matter. That's what happens. That's if you're talking about uh, the movie We Are, which is 1992's holiday adventure family comedy, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. Uh, oh, yeah. You just like, want to put your hands on your face scream. and scream in a mirror, dude. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, <laughs> we chose to do the sequel because Home Alone, in my opinion, is a pretty damn good movie. I wouldn't say yeah. it's a holiday classic, but it is entertaining for the most part i think it's i i mean it, that that's a movie that we kind of look at is what it is it's a kids movie um but also you know there's some funny things in there for adults but it's also a really hard movie to kind of pick out things that you don't like about it i think that movie holds up and i think we we're kind of in agreement about that i think so home alone 2 on the other hand uh way more christmassy <laughs> yeah way more christmassy and uh also just yeah. Way more of the exact same goddamn movie. The this exact is the, same. The Hangover movie. Two of holiday comedy <laughs> movies. It, it really is just a carbon copy sequel where they try to recreate every joke from the first one. Anything that anyone liked in the first one, they just say we got to do it again, but less successful. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, we just want to remind everybody this is our first of how many Christmas movies are we We're doing? doing four, 40. four Christmas movies. Uh, very excited to get this one underway. Um, Brandon, tell us about your history with. Home Alone, duh. Home Alone 2 was a movie uh, I watched quite a bit, obviously around the Christmas season. Home Alone itself is a movie I've watched every year since I was probably, I don't know, five or something? Every year at Christmas time for the past 25 years of my life, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I made an announcement last week that you didn't really like that I believe, and I don't have numbers to back this up, but I do believe that I've probably seen Home Alone 3 more than I've seen Home Alone 2. <laughs> it's so weird. Insanity. So weird. But I've seen, obviously I've seen Home Alone more than either of those two. Yeah. I So I think I've seen Home Alone 3 one time in my entire life, never bothered to watch it again. It's really good, dude. Yeah, that's debatable. Uh, directed <laughs> by Raja Gosnell, uh, who actually edited this film and the first film. Uh, he also directed Scooby-Doo, the old Gosnell. But uh, we're not talking about Home Alone 3, which, by the way, has a 30% on Rotten Tomatoes. We're talking about Numero Do, which has a 27% on Rotten Tomatoes Ooh. and a 6.6 on IMDb. Now, the first Home Alone, again, we mentioned last episode, I thought it was much more like highly regarded among critics, um, but it actually has a 62% on Home Alone. 62%, that's really not too bad. Um, not surprised that this one got a 27 on Rotten Tomatoes, <laughs> although who knows, maybe that's debatable. Maybe I liked it more than that, Brandon. Yeah, it may be. So these first two movies were fucking huge box office hits. So mm-hmm. this one had a $20 million budget, made 173 in the United States and $358 million worldwide. Wow. It was huge. That's it was 1992. for the year for that's, 1992. That's 1992 movie, too. That, that movie made bang. Yep. Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, so the top five that year, actually, Aladdin, Home Alone 2, Batman Returns, Lethal Weapon 3, and A Few Good Men. Wow. Pretty decent year. Now, other family films that were out during the year 1992, we have Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. 
All right. Beethoven, The Mighty Ducks. Oh, my God. Three Ninjas, uh, Fern Gully, and a personal favorite of mine that actually ties in with this episode quite well, The Muppet Christmas Carol. Oh, I do love with Michael Caine. Yeah, yeah, that's I do a good love damn, that That's movie. a goddamn good Speaking movie. Of, and also, out of all those movies, uh, I don't want to rewatch Mighty Ducks. Mighty Ducks 2, though, I think would be a great standby. Really? I haven't seen, I don't think I've ever seen Mighty Ducks 2, honestly. What? D2, dude. Wow, revealing. But we're getting sidetracked. We are. Uh, So just a little bit about the history of this movie. Uh, Macaulay Culkin was actually paid $4.5 million to star in this film, which is the biggest salary ever for a 12-year-old actor. Oh, my God. And I was thinking about this. Has it been rivaled? Can you name, like, other child actors that are as revered as Macaulay Culkin was in the 1990s? Dakota Fanning, maybe? Maybe back in, like, the early 2000s, I Am Sam, but not now. I'm thinking maybe that Jacob Tremblay kid from Room and Wonder and whatever. Like, yeah. he's making a name for himself, but but honestly, I can't think of a kid that young. I'm talking 12 years old, that, that 10 young. to 12, like... I can't think of any actor that that is working today that rivals what he had in the early 90s. He was fucking king. No, I mean, he was all over the place. Every kid, for some reason, wanted to be Macaulay Culkin. (laughs) (laughs) Well, little did he know that the the following year he'd star in The Good Son in 93, which would kind of torpedo his career. Like, a lot of people, after watching that movie, saw him as a weird, fucked up, dark kid, because that's the movie he stars in with Elijah Wood, of course, where he, you know, tries to kill his... His uh, cousin. Yeah. Pretty sweet. And his mom, And he gets thrown off a fucking cliff at the end, dude. That is hilarious. Spoiler alert. (laughs) But but yeah, really, after this, after Home Alone 2, he did The Good Son. He did Richie Rich, which really wasn't a big hit. And then, of course, The Page Master, which we've covered. There's an episode Which is a great film. It's not a great film. (laughs) Uh, 78 minutes of shit. (laughs) No, but anyway. uh, And, of course, The Page Master was actually made before 94. So, really, after this, it's kind of all downhill from here for poor Macaulay Culkin. I mean, this is is him on the mountaintop before things just turn sour. Yeah. And and so, there was a Home Alone 3. It, it of course, didn't star Macaulay Culkin. No. There was also two additional TV movie sequels. Wow. One called Taking Back the House and The Holiday Heist in 2002 and 2012, respectively. This one, however, is directed by Chris Columbus. Now, he did the first one. He's also done quite a bit of movies that are pretty special in all of our lives, I think. Uh, Adventures in Babysitting, Mrs. Doubtfire. Uh, he also did <laughs> God damn it. Nine Months, Stepmom, Bicentennial Man, which could be a stay tuned. Uh, <laughs> Harry Potter 1 and 2. Wow. Rent. I love you, Beth Cooper. Uh, Percy Jackson and the Olympians. The Lightning oh, Thief. Of course, Deed. the Lightning Thief. Deed. And most recently, Pixels. Wow. So some of my <laughs> least favorite. Dude, Mrs. Doubtfire's, you know, pretty good. Mrs. Doubtfire's good. The first two Harry Potters are really bad. Yeah, they're not bad. They're they just the worst of the series. Really yeah, bad. Not, well, okay. I've, I've, I've watched them. In a go while. back All and right, watch yeah, them. Trust right. me, they're okay. really bad. All right. Well. Jeez, anything else we need to get into before we, we dive right into this movie? God, dude, I don't think so, man. Well, I, I don't want to we... waste too much time because the movie was two fucking hours long. Yeah, it was like... <laughs> Jesus Christ. Dude, it's, it was like page three masters. page masters. <laughs> no, but seriously, this movie is too long. It, the first movie is like an hour, long. 40 minutes, which was even pushing it. There's a few scenes in that movie that feel kind of just added well, or padded. Well, so it's funny, a little behind the scenes here was that when we were watching it, I checked the timestamp to see how far along we were. We were 35 minutes in and I said the thing is I'm not bored but check with me in an hour when we have another 30 minutes of this film I might have a different attitude about it Yeah, my, my biggest problem with both of these movies as a kid and now was that they're just so backloaded like or frontloaded oh with just yeah. so much exposition and bullshit like we, we came for the traps we came for the yeah. booby traps that's what was like entertaining as a kid and I the holiday spirit shenanigans I want violence on a scale <laughs> that should not be seen in a children's film yeah 
This is actually written and produced by John Hughes, who, of course, you know, ruled the 1980s with, you know, Breakfast Club, Pretty in Pink, all those type of movies. Mm-hmm. And, and the first one has his that kind of feel. I feel like this one is a little lazy. No, this, this is a cash grab. Yeah, I mean, of it's course. clearly a cash yeah. grab. And I th- you know what? We're spending so much time. We're, we're doing exactly what we hate about this movie. <laughs> we're backloading everything. So let's just dive let's right Let's dive right in. It. So we get another of these uh, opening title sequences, which I actually like a lot. In yeah. the first one, it just sets the mood for, it's kind of creepy. It's got that badass John Williams score. And it's just that little blue box of the house with the light coming on. I- I've always liked this, the way this sets up the uh, the kind of tone you're getting. My, my initial thought was I think it felt a little bit more appropriate in the first movie because okay. that first movie did like you said did kind of set the tone for almost like a mouse hunt sort of like yeah yeah it's like movie. a darker family comedy yes really. exactly yeah. this one it, it just felt like I yeah I I think out of the nostalgia <laughs> the nostalgia of the first one was like do you guys hear that Jesus Christ we've got a goddamn hurricane bad outside, weather dude. Yeah, this one, it just, I, I don't know, it felt a little tacked on. I, they, they probably could have done something a little bit different, I think, in my opinion. But you're right, it is still kind of cool, though, regardless of what I think. I'm kind of a dick. You are kind of a dick. But John Williams' score, uh, that's fantastic. I can't be a dick the about guy, that. Yeah, I the mean, guy the guy's brilliant. some of the most iconic scores of all time, and this one is no different. And one of my favorite holiday movie scores ever. Mm-hmm. Carol of the Bells is in the first Home Alone. It's fucking, like, Very good. goosebumps. Like, really good. Anyway, so... Once again, this goddamn white privileged family is going on another extravagant Dude, trip. These people are the worst. They're man. fucking loaded, and they're all assholes. Everyone in this movie is a selfish dick. Yeah, they really are. They're, and first of all, let's just get through how many people are actually in this family. Good God, how many fucking kids do they have? No, it's like, and then it's like a second family that's also loaded with kids. It's like fourteen people going on this yep. trip. Uncle Frank and his wife, uh, and again, all these kids, all these people are returning. This is two years after the first one, so they got the entire cast back. I don't think anyone is recast, honestly. Oh, my God. Which is kind of impressive, but at the same time, who gives a shit? I mean, Because they... they're also, like, in this one in particular, the first one gave them kind of that, like, introduction scene to kind of give you a little bit of what each one was about. Who was who, yeah. yeah. who was who, at least. This one, they're in this for maybe three minutes, the, the family itself. I mean, you obviously there's, get the, the, the parents quite a bit. Yeah, I was going to say, there's really three characters that you need to know. There's the mom, there's Buzz, the oldest brother, <laughs> yep. And then there's Kevin, which is, of course, Macaulay Culkin. Yeah, and there's the dad, Peter, who's played by John Hurd. Yeah, whatever. Again, a great cast, and we'll get into my favorite actor of the bunch. Joe Pesky. Joe, Joe Pesky. Joe Pesky. <laughs> you know, Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern, of course, play the wet bandits. In this movie, though, they're the sticky bandits, but we're not there yet. <laughs> so they're leaving, and of course, some mishap has to happen in which their goddamn alarm clock gets reset yet again. Yeah. And for some reason, they don't. <laughs> don't wake up All with right. their alarm to get them to the airport. Just backtracking a little bit. Uh, uh, Kevin and Buzz get in a fight at the holiday concert. <laughs> Dude, this is hilarious. Yeah, I'm glad you brought this up. <laughs> Buzz does something stupid. Kevin's got like a solo and Buzz has got like two candles and he's like making like bunny ears yeah, or something. Two plastic him. candles, And the dude. audience is going nuts. First, dude, first off, the parents are like making fun of them. Like, oh, here comes Kevin's fucking solo. And then, of course, it's definitely not Macaulay Culkin. It's some like, oh, of course not. <laughs> some like professional singer singing underneath. But what's hilarious is, yeah, Buzz is making these stupid things behind him. The crowd fucking loses going it, dude. Nuts, I've dude. never laughed so hard in my life at the rap. <laughs> laughter like the funniest <laughs> fucking thing you could imagine has just happened yeah and never and, laughed as hard as that audience so did good, at buzz dude. making like yeah. little motions with his candles behind 
Macaulay Culkin. So Kevin finally figures out what's happening. He, you know, pushes Buzz, which causes all of the kids to lose motor functions, and they all just collapse on the yeah, ground. And the teacher like, gets fucked <laughs> and yeah. yeah. And he's up there standing all alone. So then once they're back at the house, of course, everyone's pissed off, dude. Everyone hates this kid. Yep. It's kind of understandable because after both of these movies, if there's one thing I know growing up, I don't want a fucking kid like Kevin McAllister. Oh, my God, man. And he's let's let's get it out of the way. He's got a punchable face. Oh, man. So punchable. He's got he's such so a punchable precocious. face. What a nerd. And the weird thing is my mom was always like, because when I was growing up, I had the blonde hair. I was very like, I'd, I'd imagine I'd probably a dick kid. Um, <laughs> she was like, oh, you know, like, just like fucking him, you know, you little dick. And then... I don't think my mom loves me anymore. Well, I know I don't. (laughs) Anywho. So, uh, Buzz does sort of a fake apology to the family that they, of course, they buy because he's fucking Buzz. He's awesome. Buzz is awesome. Buzz is fucking Buzz, your girlfriend. Woof. Yeah, right? (laughs) Um, And Macaulay Culkin, he's finally had it, dude. He's, you know... Uh, why don't you guys believe me? Blah, blah, blah. That kind of shit. He, long story short, he doesn't apologize. Um, he kind of gets into it with his mom saying like, you know what? I wish I could just spend this Christmas by myself like last year or something yeah, like that. Yeah, and so while it's been two years, you know, since the production dates, this is technically the very next year. The very next year. Which makes you, these parents are fucking Terrible horrible. people. Terrible people. How do you do this two years in a row? You should you try. You should get your 17 children taken yeah, away. Yeah, no, DHHS needs to make a call. So they go to bed mad, which you're never supposed to do because guess what, dude? They wake up, they're late, they're scrambling. We all did it again. Oh, we that's right. And dude, no, they go, we did it again. And then they stop and look at the camera and just go, ah, they <laughs> scream. Away. By oh. the way, uh, without jumping ahead too far, they break the fourth wall four times in the first 20 minutes of this yeah, movie. Yeah. Four times they're I counted. They're breaking it more than Deadpool, dude. Yeah, it's really bad. So anyway, there's this whole like scramble around to get ready montage and then they're in the van and she's like, where's Kevin? Where's Kevin? And then he pops out of the front seat. He's in the front fucking like, seat, dude. Thankfully, I fucking take care of myself because you guys are terrible parents. Because you guys are bad people. So they get to the airport. They're sprinting through the terminal. But guess what, dude? Kevin needs batteries in his camcorders. Stat. What a piece of <laughs> shit. <laughs> Seriously, what a piece of shit. So they're all running. They're already late. He just stands in the middle of this crowded Chicago airport and starts putting batteries in his camcorder. And wouldn't you know it? He loses his dad, his whole family. But he spots another guy wearing an identical coat. And he starts following him. And this begins a series of outrageous coincidences that propels this story. And it really pisses me off because the first movie, I'll get you. Like, there's a lot of stuff you got to cop. There's a, there's a lot of suspension of disbelief. However, what sets the movie in motion is really just like a head count gone wrong. Right. Dude, like, we were just picking this part here, though, because it's just so fucking lazy because it's like, how do I get this kid on a plane? Like, there's just no real thought that goes in. Just what happens is he mistakenly. Sees this guy wearing the same coat. He chases him onto this plane. uh, And on his way in, he bumps into the stewardess who's outside at the boarding gate. She drops all the tickets. And so she's like, oh, shit, did you have a ticket? Were you supposed to be here or whatever? And he basically convinces her, I just saw my dad walk on. Can I please Listen, man, this was pre-9-11. This is how you could get on these planes. But But as she's shuffling through the tickets trying to find him, this guy comes over. He's like, well, just make sure that he at least finds his parents once he boards the plane. So he gets on. And then for a second time, mistakes the same guy who just happens to have his back turned at the exact moment. He's like, oh, that's my dad. And she's like, okay, go ahead and sit down. He sits down, and there's a happens to be a fucking French guy sitting next to him, so he can't ask him any questions along the plane ride. Yep. Then he lands in New York, and here we go, dude. Guys, <sighs> I try not to be, like, pissed off because it was just literally like, come on, come no, on. Seriously, it was... 
I just the whole thing and the parents are like, oh, he must have gotten on at some point because, of course, there's 14 people with them. So they can't keep track of all of them, apparently. Yeah. So, oh, God. <laughs> so, so, Kevin, wouldn't you know it, guys? He's not on the fucking plane to Miami. He's on the plane to New York, dude. And what he I gets know. home alone lost in New York. <laughs> My son is home alone, too. Lost in New York. <laughs> One thing we did fail to mention, too, was that uh, the Chicago Sun newspaper, uh, we had a cutaway really quick of... Dude, the the top headline: the Wet Bandits have escaped from prison during a prison riot. During a prison riot. That's right. Because we then cut to Harry and Marv arriving in New York City. I was just gonna. I wanted to actually go back, and I was gonna take it again, and you fucked me. Thanks a lot, dude. (laughs) So they arrive, and Joe Pesci is just you know, he's a treat as an actor. I love the man. The the first one actually came out in 1990, same year as Goodfellas, and Mm -hmm. we couldn't stop. Picturing him, <laughs> dude, I love Joe Pesci. His character, I love Joe and Pesci wanting to so beat much. the shit out of Daniel to... Stern on set. Don't you ever fucking say anything, you motherfucker? Think I'm funny? How the fuck am I funny? What am I like? Ha ha, so funny? Am I fucking like a clown? Joe, calm down. All right, this is a no. Kid's shut movie. the fuck up, you motherfucker! I'm gonna beat you. Macaulay is right here. I'm gonna beat Macaulay's you. Right I'm gonna here. beat Macaulay with a fucking show that motherfucker. Anyway, we lost all credibility. <sighs> okay. <laughs> But uh, they basically arrive in New York City, and they immediately kind of plan to, like, let's rob a toy store on Christmas Eve. (laughs) Which, you know, whatever. (laughs) Whatever. Sure. Cut to their parents, who are finally arriving in Florida, and they have to explain this to the police. They're like, oh, actually, the second time in a year. This (laughs) has happened quite often. It's become a family tradition. (laughs) But we don't lose our luggage, knock on wood. And, like, this police officer used to be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? (laughs) So... (laughs) So Kevin has landed in New York, and he realizes what happens. Uh, he's a little nervous at first, but then he decides to just take it in stride because he grabbed his father's carry-on. For some reason, the father like shoved the carry-on yeah, into, Kev- yeah, whatever. into Kevin's arms and was like, you carry my bags. He needs so money, dude. He's got his cash, and he's got his credit card. Where are you going to go? So he checks into a hotel. Well, he goes to Chinatown first and buys <laughs> fireworks, which I got to tell you, folks, I'm from New York. It's illegal. You can't do it. You cannot buy fireworks. Not in even York. the 90s, dude. Not even in the 90s, dude. Well, actually, I don't know. This movie did come out when I was born. Yeah, so who knows, no. dude. Maybe but they've really tightened up on their fireworks I'm laws. just telling you, I can't do it. <laughs> so he arrives at, what, the Plaza Hotel. He gets told by President Trump where the lobby is. <laughs> That's true. Uh, It's that way, Kevin. It's that way, Kevin. Excuse me. I have to go grab a woman. What if he also bumped into Obama at the same time? And I was like, uh, (laughs) Kevin, lobby (laughs) down the road. Right down the... Merry Christmas to you. And uh, shut up. (laughs) Show us your certificate. Shut the fuck up. (laughs) Were you actually born here? I don't think so. Don't lie to me. Get the fuck out. So, yes, the president (laughs) tells him where to go. So he winds up eventually just kind of conning the staff at the Plaza Hotel into renting him a room with his father's credit card. Let's. There's a few characters I do want to mention, one of which is Rob Schneider. Rob Schneider is a bellboy. <laughs> yeah, his name is Cedric. He's got some tall 90s hair, too. It oh, is man, he's thick. rocking the 90s hair. The better actor, uh, Mr. Tim Curry. He kind of plays, he's either the manager, I guess, he's, of this hotel. Yeah, or the concierge, maybe. Concierge, yeah, yeah, yes, yes. Um, and Curry seems immediately suspicious of Kevin. Like, what the fuck's this kid doing? Which, you know, Which I get it. Like, he's a kid walking alone, but he immediately is like, "There's a kid walking in happening. the plaza with a credit card." 
Yeah. Like, I get the suspicion. Although, I do think he jumps to conclusions a little fast. So, as we mentioned earlier, they've got to replay every goddamn joke that worked. So, one of which is they... I actually kind of like this. The Angels with Filthy Souls video he was watching in the first movie when he was stuffing his face full of ice cream. Which, as a kid, I was obsessed with that Sunday. I don't know. Dude, every single time it came on. I don't know why. Whatever. Anyway, he's... uh, So, once again, he's doing the same goddamn thing in the hotel bedroom. He's eating ice cream. He's watching Angels with even filthier souls. um, (laughs) In which this guy shoots a woman to death with a Tommy Tommy gun. gun. It's (laughs) hilarious. It's so funny. Oh, man. And you you might want to pay attention to a lot of his dialogue because it'll be used later to trick some people. Of course it will. Exactly like in the first one. Nothing can happen in this movie without it coming back later in the film. All right, hang on a sec. So at this point, it's Christmas Eve, and Kevin kind of tours the city in a limousine, and he visits this toy store, a Duncan's toy chest, I believe, uh, where he meets the owner, Mr. Duncan, whom I thought was a ghost half of the movie. <laughs> he was convinced very, he was a ghost. <laughs> very much not a ghost in this movie. I remember you saying that to me, like, now pay attention, because I think this guy might be a ghost, and I was like, I, I kind of remember him not being a ghost, but okay. <laughs> oh, shit. But uh, Kevin... <laughs> Well, no, I actually thought that I was, like, debunking a whole thing. Like, I was figuring out something no one else knew about Home Alone 2. Like, I was going to... Then, after this... After we recorded this, dude, I was going to go to the Reddit boards. I mean, you were proved wrong, like... Immediately. Immediately. Well, I mean, it was an an hour later. An hour later. All right, in the watching, you were proved wrong. Uh, So, Kevin learns, uh, basically, that all the money that this this store is going to be making is going to go to charity. And he strikes up kind of a little friendship with this guy, Mr. Duncan, who he gives... The guy, (laughs) Macaulay Culkin, donates $50 to the store or whatever he's like oh the kids need this more than i do and then he's like you know what i'm gonna give you two free turtle dove ornaments that's not <laughs> free guy he just gave no, me 50, just bucks, gave 50 bucks so he's essentially he paid 50 dollars for tree ornaments but the, but these gifts are important okay because he tells him you know you hold on to the turtle doves are, are are the symbols of friendship or some bullshit and you give one to one and you, and you keep the other and you'll you'll be friends forever hooray Birds, dude. Birds, dude. We'll get into birds. Dude, the odds are inconceivable about the next few series of events because Marv and Harry keep running into Kevin accidentally throughout New York York City. They find him, I think, three times in this movie by happenstance. What do you think is more probable that the same people run into each other in a completely different city in the biggest city in the country or that they can train oil drillers to become (laughs) astronauts in a week? Fuck you, Ben Affleck. (laughs) Shut the fuck up, Ben. So he does what actually what any smart kid, I guess, could and should do when two weird creeps like approach him. He just stares at them and screams at the top of his lung. Which I feel like there's a lot of scenes in this movie where I'm like, yeah, I feel like if you had just screamed, like people would have been like, "What's happening?" I don't are know, those dude. Two men staring it's at New York. Child? How many times do they see kids screaming, getting pulled away by That's two true. dudes in trenches? It is New York, dude. So Kevin, back at the hotel, winds up using the angels with filthier souls to kind of trick the hotel staff because they're convinced at this point that the something's fishy. Something's clearly that off about this kid. he's stolen the credit card, so they chase him up to his room. And instead of following him into the bedroom, he just starts playing the angels with filthier souls. And they think that someone is talking to him and threatening them with a Tommy gun. <laughs> and that's how he... 
manages to escape. Yeah. No, the the, the <laughs> second half of this scene is kind of stupid, but I really I, there was some genuine laughs when he does the whole thing where because in the scene in the movie that, that he's watching anyway, the black and white movie, he's talking about how this woman has made out with everyone You've in town. Been or whatever. You've been people all over the town. All over town. You smooched my brother, whatever. And so he's playing it, and then they like goes to a list of people, and he's like Kevin, Little Mo with the gimpy leg, Cliff, and then even next, Cliff, yeah, standing next to Tim Curry is like a security guard. He's like, what? No, and his name. It's not true. Yeah, it's not true. That was actually a little funny part of it. But anyway, yeah, he puts on the the Tommy gun, starts blaring, and he winds up escaping. Jesus. Really good. And uh, might I add, we are what? 45 minutes into this movie at this point? Yeah, dude. And again, like a full page master into this movie. We're a full page master in, and there hasn't been a single booby trap yet, dude. Not a single booby trap. Disappointed. Really upset. So on his way out of the hotel, he once again gets uh, caught by the sticky bandits, <laughs> and uh, they basically lay out their entire plan of what they're planning to do tonight, but guess what, dude? Kevin winds up escaping yet again. Yeah, he does, and you know how he does it. He pinches a woman's ass, and then <laughs> blames it on Daniel Stern and Joe Pesci, and she punches him. <laughs> it's pretty good, dude. 92 for, you know, like, don't touch me. I'm punching in the face, dude. I, I mean, I guess we've come a long way. <laughs> come, have I, don't we? I don't think we I have, I don't think dude. we it's have. Sad. Ugh. <laughs> God. So now he's walking the streets of New York City at dark, and there's, like, homeless bums and prostitutes who ask him, do you want someone to read you a bedtime story? Really gross and weird. (laughs) They Um, got VD. But the best part is that he ends up feeding a couple of pigeons for some reason. (laughs) Some fucking birds, dude. We're fucking birds, dude. Well, so he was like... We failed to mention the pigeon lady who mentioned who's a brief appearance in the very beginning, but this is where she's really introduced. Yeah. So he, this woman who's got like, she's a homeless woman and she's got pigeons literally all around her and like perched on her shoulder. She's really menacing at first. Um, yeah. But then it, she shows a little bit of kindness towards Kevin and he starts to open up. He's like, who are you? What is your name? Um, they, it's almost identical to the old man character in the first one. A curmudgeon whom the holiday spirit and friendship with Macaulay Culkin is that, to melt is, is that what it is? Frozen heart, is that what it is? Dude? But instead, it's a fucking pigeon lady, bird woman. <laughs> so he strikes up this kind of like friendship with this lady. They go to the uh, the top of this opera house, right? And there's this Where whole heart to heart or something. Yeah. yeah, and they and this heart to heart man I, lasts like five or ten minutes. Like, did we listen to any of it? No, no. <laughs> we didn't listen to any of it. She's we like a competent actress. She's a, you know, and she's trying her best. She's wonderful. She's trying her best to hide her Irish accent a little bit. I mean, you can still hear it. She handles this scene beautifully. Yeah, she's um, like talking about her past, which is really stuff. good considering her screen mate was Macaulay Culkin, a child. Um, before we go any further, though, Zach, I do want to ask you: What do you think of of Macaulay Culkin's like performance in this this character? What do you, what do you get from it? I mean, dude, I and you, it's hard to break. Yeah, down, I was going to say you might hate me for this, but like, I feel like, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but I feel like he mailed it in. <laughs> like, I feel like Macaulay Culkin, <laughs> a 12 year old child actor, mailed in her performance. I really think he like. Mailed I feel it. like he could have done. He could have done better. I, I think he. I think he was like, I got four and a half fucking million. I'm making more than yeah, Joe Pesci on this I, movie. He really was. So it's like, <laughs> do it's, whatever. It's I want. weird. Normally, I don't give a lot of credit to child actors. In this one, I feel like I gave him too much credit because I feel like he's just not even trying. <laughs> so it's weird. But um, yeah, no. I mean, sometimes he he has that flash of like really good. 
and then other times he's an asshole and terrible. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. But so, you know, he strikes up a conversation and friendship with this woman. Really long, boring scene. Yeah, she's just, she's no old man. You know what I mean? Like, in the yeah. first movie, when he, at the very end, when he has his, like, when he meets his, his son again, his son comes back into his life and they're hugging outside in the snow. Like, that's a fucking, like, that's a heartwarming moment. It's really, it's like warm and cuddly and sad. Yeah, and I don't really just care about that. The, I don't really care yeah. about Pigeon Woman that yeah, much. Yeah, exactly. Um, and honestly, this whole movie could have been solved if we had cell phones. <laughs> no, honestly, this whole movie could have been solved. <laughs> Well, they New had York. cell phones, and uh, maybe if someone had just checked the alarm clock before they went to bed. I don't know about you, Brandon. It's like the first thing I do when I go to bed. Yeah, and I'd imagine if I had a kid, the first thing I'd do is also just make sure that, you know, he's around. Oh, my God. But at an hour and 16 minutes in, dude, he's finally starting to plan his goddamn murderous night of torture and because, because what we did grab from this scene that we barely paid attention was that he knows he's been doing some bad things. He stole his father's credit card. Yep. He, you know, got in, he got in an argument with his mother mm-hmm. and didn't apologize to his family for being a dick. Um, so Pigeon Woman says, you know... Bad deeds are forgiven on Christmas if you just go ahead and do a good deed. Which means murdering two burglars. Yes, he he (laughs) knows of the plot where the burglars are going to steal the toy store money, Mm -hmm. and all that toy store money is going to children's hospitals, so he's like, you know what? Time to do a good deed. And he finally, a minute 16, or an hour 16 into it, as you said, starts setting up some booby traps. Now, the booby traps take place, or are kind of housed in this old, dilapidated, like, apartment building that his uncle owns correct yeah it's like a brownstone that his uncle owns but they're off in france so they're having it renovated or something it looks like like an abandoned property it does not look like someone but apparently it's just being renovated i guess but yeah there's holes all through the goddamn floor and after he reads the anarchist cookbook a few times he (laughs) gets all this like (laughs) he must be reading the anarchist cookbook yeah it's, it's terrifying honestly it's scary some of the way he plans to like genuinely hurt people so the mother, they've kind of arrived now in, in New York City. The mother is going to go out looking for him on the streets because, you know, she's she's frantic and she's realized what a piece of shit she must be. Yeah. God. I mean, she did leave her son twice. So after telling some police that her son is home alone too long, <laughs> she goes a trucking looking for him, dude. So cut to Kevin, who's now watching the Sticky Bandits inside the, uh, the toy store. explained there. why they are the Sticky Bandits, by the way. Oh, it's God. a really bad joke where Daniel Stern just walks through a collection bucket with uh, tape wrapped around his fingers. He just sticks his hand in and pulls out like a couple quarters. And he's like, well, we got a new name now, dude. The Sticky Bandits. And I don't think anybody ever commits to that except for <laughs> Daniel Stern. And maybe you, dude. <laughs> well, yeah, if you remember from the first one, they were called the Wet Bandits, of course, because yes. they would plug the sinks of the homes they robbed and then flood the home. Yeah. Pretty big dick move actually yeah, like, 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 way to add like insult, insult to injury. Injury. just God, take my shit me go. I'm like, yeah. but anyway as he's watching them rob the store and again they think they've got like fucking duffel bags full of money yeah he takes a picture of them inside with his little sweet 90s polaroid there and he throws a brick through the window setting off the alarm yep and so, you know, Joe Pesci naturally, like, starts to chase him, and, God. We, I have to tell, we're not going to go through every one of these traps, but this first one is so stupid, so dude. Dumb. It is so stupid. He sets up a little barrel and a plank of wood, and Joe Pesci jumps on the end of it and has ample amount of time. <laughs> ample. He turns around and says, oh, Harry! Don't do it! <laughs> and then... Daniel Stern jumps on the other end of the plank of wood and launches Joe Pesci maybe 12 feet. Oh, maybe 15, 20 feet in the air because it's enough to then crush the top of a car as he lands on the hood. Yeah, (laughs) just destroys a car. 
Oh, and God. the chase is on, dude. The chase is on, dude. The the thrill of it all. Finally, we're into this, dude. This is what I paid my ticket to Home Alone two to see. And it or only it? took an hour and twenty minutes. Yeah, it, I'm I'm torn, dude. Like, is this what people want to see in Home Alone two or in the Home Alone movies, or do they want to see the family like comedy holiday aspect of it? So one of the things that I was going to kind of wait till the end to discuss with you about, but I feel like I can bring it up right now, is that um, just because of where it is as a turning point in the film, is that the first half of this movie just seems like a genuine like Christmas movie. It's sure. a, a kid who's, you know... who It's Christmas in New York, yeah, dude. Yeah, it's Christmas in New York. He's got a ton of money. He's just having a good time. He's being a little selfish. He's, he's kind of scrooging himself, right, of you course. know? Um, you know, screw his family. Um, screw being like a good person he's just kind of like having fun with his money on christmas and then like at the very tail end of it it becomes like the home alone part that everybody loved so it almost feels like two separate movies where it goes from like a christmas movie about growing up and learning to uh just a slapsticky like goofball sort of film yeah i i almost equate it to if you look like the Saw movies, the first Saw movie, like people say was about the traps, but it's really about the story and right. the traps are like fun and they accentuate the, you know, the whole story of it and the sequels just get kind of lost. It really in is like a nonsense of it. Saw, <laughs> yeah, which is yeah. crazy. But so they chase him back to the apartment house. Uh, he's already on the roof and this is where he kills these guys 10 times over. First oh. off, he chucks... Four bricks into Daniel Stern's face from a five-story building. five-story building, dude. <laughs> He'd be dead, dude. He'd brain dead. damage at the least. Oh, very. Yeah, I mean, just... It, I mean, like, it looks violent, too. It does, like, everything... I will admit, a lot of yeah. these look painful. That's what's crazy. So half of the sound effects are, like, goofy, cartoony, like, spring-boying sounds, and then the other half are fucking brutal. <laughs> like, yeah. realistic-sounding. Like, oh, yeah, like, 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 really hard to watch. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm going to rattle through some of these traps, all right? Because yeah, I wrote a lot of them down. But so Daniel Stern gets industrial staples in his face, butt, and dick. <laughs> yep, happens. <laughs> um, Pesci gets a suitcase full of tools dropped on his head. And how, how did Macaulay Culkin even get that up there? It's like thirty pounds of tools, dude. He's a little devil. I don't know what to tell you. He's a little bastard. Jesus. Uh, Stern then gets electrocuted after having a shelf full of paint cans fall on top of him. <laughs> then he get. <clears throat> oh, this is after he fell through the uh, hole in the ground. Oh, yeah. Just because he didn't look. Uh, yeah, I didn't. I'm not even counting falls, dude. If I counted falls, we'd be here for days. But uh, so then we get the old blowtorch again. Uh, however, we got to up the ante. So Macaulay Culkin has taken has had the foresight to pour kerosene into the, the toilet, toilet bowl. because he knew Joe Pesci was going to put out the fire it's on so his head. Up. This is so fucked in up. the toilet, and like the whole house, like the whole first floor, just goes. Yeah. Joe Pesci's head would either be exploded or just caught on fire. First of all, that dead. whole apartment is on fire now. It's all just old wood and, like, paint. And Joe Pesci's dead. Like, <laughs> Joe Pesci's dead. Daniel Stern dies in the fire. Wherever Macaulay Culkin is, he's probably suffering burns if he doesn't get out. Dude, you know what I want is I want the Home Alone movie that's literally just his planning stage. The hour and a half to two hours that they seem that he plans all this in. Because he must be literally sitting in a room going, all right, he's going to walk in this door. And then at this point, once the blowtorch kicks off, he's going to be looking around. Oh, I got to put this out. I got to put this out. The I mean, the kid's a work. fucking genius. He's a fucking mad genius. Yeah, he's crazy. This guy's going to grow up to either be a dictator, a serial killer, or an assassin. Or Macaulay Culkin. A drug dealer. 
out, sad, washed up. At, I miss. What do I though? <laughs> do you? <laughs> do I? Does though? anybody really miss Macaulay Culkin's acting? Oh man. So let's get back into this, dude. Either way, both of these guys should be dead at this point. Stern then gets a hundred pound bag of like I don't know dry concrete or something yeah, dropped like on his head. Concrete. His neck should be broken. Yeah. They both get a steel beam to the face. <laughs> then they climb down this rope off the five story building, which is doused in kerosene. Which Macaulay Culkin, of course, has got a light on fire. Yeah, of course. Which is the, the actual <laughs> torture, like yeah. actual like that's uh, like wow, fucking that's... like yeah. They did that in like prison camps or some shit. Like, <laughs> yeah, that dark. Like, that's scary shit. So they drop the five stories, land on some goddamn boards, which then send some paint cans of varnish on their body. You think that would yeah. burn, right? Yeah. Oh god, my god, and it's it. smelling poisonous and noxious. They're probably high from the fumes. Um, this whole sequence lasts about a half hour. Macaulay Culkin finally runs away, slips on ice, though, dude. <laughs> yeah, gets a little bit of his own. Gets a little of his fucking medicine, and, dude. And I gotta tell you, after watching this kid just beat up on Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern yeah. for a half hour, I kind of felt good about yeah, exactly. him. Like, That's what you get, you ice. little motherfucker, you. That's what you get, you motherfucker. How's the ice? <laughs> I gotta fucking kill you. I'm gonna put your head in a vice. <laughs> You dirty motherfucker! <laughs> Jesus, Joe, you've got to come. Joe, please, he's a kid. <laughs> oh man! So yeah, they take him into the uh, you know the Central Park or whatever. It's very it's dark and and creepy. And, and Joe Pesci again, like in the first one, is going to kill this kid. He plans on legit murdering. He's had a gun on him the whole time. Yeah, and that, that this this blew my goddamn mind. He pulls out the gun, which is now covered, of course, in varnish and oil and paint and all this other shit. So it won't work. But like immediately, he should have shot this kid. You know what I mean, dude? Yeah, but he has to he has to shit talk him a little bit first. Yeah, I mean I get that, but but in the time span of him shit talking Macaulay Culkin, Pigeon Woman, she arrives. Here we come, dude. We're fucking, fucking babes, dude. She throws pigeon feed all over Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern, and then of course New York City's pigeons just come down <laughs> and start eating them. And you know Chris Columbus was like, dude. This is my tribute to Hitchcock. This is <laughs> yeah, my tribute yeah. to the birds, they dude. They swarm them all around, and then Daniel Stern delivers that. I really do like his scream he did in the first one when they put the tarantula on his face. It's just this <laughs> high pitch, like, ah, I can't even, no one could recreate it. It's oh fantastic. But, uh, yeah, dude. Um, <laughs> they're evaded. <laughs> they're evaded. So Macaulay Culkin uh, lights off the illegal fireworks he's bought, <laughs> runs away, and the police... <laughs> The police catch them, and for no reason, Daniel Stern just reveals every bit, every of, bit of information. Plot. Yeah, yeah yep. like, and we're the sticky bandits. We're the sticky bandits. Yeah, great uh, joke. Good God. Um, so he goes. Uh, Kevin goes to the Rockefeller Center to see the giant tree. He's he has this whole thing with trees to the whole movie. Yeah, that he, he loves wants Christmas to, yeah, trees you know. or something. It's mentioned once. And so his mother, uh, she, you know, she's been putting her mind into where her kid would go, and she realizes, of course, that's where he'd be. So she meets him there. And it's really unceremonious and quick. She just picks him up, and there's a quick little back and forth, and then they're off. Like, in the first one, when she gets home, there's that whole, like, you know, little scene where they're a reconciliation, a reunion of family members. And here it's just kind of glossed over. Yeah. So um, while all this is kind of wrapping up with his family, um, we go back to the toy store where Mr. Duncan has looked at the rock that Macaulay Culkin used to set off the alarm, broke his front window, and he's left a note and said, like, I, I use this to 
catch the bad guys. I'll pay for it if you want. Just, you know, Merry Christmas. Thanks for the turtle doves. Thanks for the turtle doves. <sighs> turtle And that's when Duncan, who's clearly not a ghost. Not a ghost. Um, you know, he, he decides, I got to do something nice for this kid. So the family's all sleeping in a Compt Plaza hotel room. <laughs> and they wake up, and I can't remember the youngest kid's name. It doesn't matter. Fuller. Fuller, excuse me. Who's also a Culkin. Yes, uh, that's right. <laughs> Fuller wakes up and he's like, it's Christmas. And, you know, Kevin McAllister is like, Santa doesn't come to hotels. Don't be an idiot. Um, <laughs> but that doesn't stop Fuller from running upstairs. Everybody goes upstairs. Dude, there's so many presents and toys up there. Yeah. So much stuff. And you know it's from Duncan, dude. You or know. is it from Santa, dude? No, it's from Duncan. It's from Duncan. It's from Duncan. Yeah, it's it's actually then, you know, kind of proved by the, uh, the... Yeah, he's got the two turtle doves on the tree there. Yeah. So, Kevin, that reminds Kevin, like, oh, there's someone I gotta say goodbye to. <laughs> He walks down to Central Park, again, unsupervised, snuck out, nobody knew he left. Yeah, they literally were like, hey, Kevin, you get to open the first present, and they hand him his present. He starts to open it, and everyone just tears into just their tears stuff into beforehand, the and so literally he doesn't don't even look open, at him. Yeah, doesn't even he open leaves. his present then, so he just leaves. and Goes back to the park, he finds Pigeon Lady, and he gives her the turtle dove, and there's this really heartwarming embrace, and they're hugging, and they're like, oh, I'll never forget you. Until, dude... Rob Schneider comes along and delivers the hotel bill uh, for for Kevin's stay at the plaza, and his dad sees it. Kevin, you spent nine hundred and forty-seven dollars on room service. Which, by the way, if you see what this kid spends in this movie, nine hundred and forty—he only spent a grand. That is baffling. Dude, gas was like a buck something back here, so guess, you know what I mean. Yeah. Better times, I guess so. But Kevin's like, <gasps> he runs away, fade to black, Home Alone two. Pigeon Lady is still homeless, <laughs> <laughs> homeless without a family on Christmas, lost in New York, dude. That's what are your thoughts, too. dude? What are your thoughts? Okay, man. I mean, first and foremost, let's just get it out of the way. This movie is way, 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 way too goddamn long. It is too long. It's yeah. way too long. There's so. I mean, we talked about uh, the pigeon lady conversation lasted five minutes. A lot of the montages lasted too long. I, there was just a lot of like goofy like extra shit yep. that went into this. A lot of like extended dialogue scenes, and again, like you said, it's just backloaded. I, there's too much stuff that we want to see in this movie that just gets put off until the last half hour. Yeah, um, you know, I, I get this movie is not about. Uh, Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern but honestly I think they're criminally underused in this movie I really do I think that uh, they probably could have had a lot more scenes they could have had a lot more to do with this movie in general they're really like non-existent for the first half of this movie you see them in one or two scenes and then like then they play a bigger role towards the end of it but you know there's I mean, Daniel Stern, call him what it is, but Joe Pesci's a big star, man. He packs a punch. Tim Curry, even, I think, is a little underused in this movie. And dare I say it, even Rob Schneider. <laughs> well, that's the thing. is like all these actors... I mean, of course, Joe Pesci, Tim Curry. I love those guys, and it's. But I don't like their characters. And, the, like... No. Daniel, the, the sticky bandits in this movie are just... Like, they do that thing in comedies where the next one, everyone has to be dumber. Like, they yeah, just they have to, to be more bumbling. Yes, it's and... like... 
They don't become they lose all sense of character at all. Like they're just they're not people. They're fucking cartoons. And it's like I feel it's strange because I, I can't feel anything towards them. They're not doing anything particularly funny, but I like the actors. Well, you know and, what I mean? that, and that kind of wraps up into what I was going to finish with on my point, which is just overall this movie. Well, it's not terrible and it's it's pretty well made i will give them that it's pretty well made movie but overall it's just it feels like a sequel to me just a cash grab Mm. um it just i felt like it didn't need to happen um i felt like the idea there weren't enough idea ideas clearly for them to make a sequel i mean it's the same movie just in new york yeah and that's literally like you said it's the hangover of christmas children's movies (laughs) it's the hangover part two and it's just like to me there wasn't really a point to it and so i really couldn't really get into it i couldn't get excited about it well i did appreciate what i was seeing on occasion and what actually did go into it because there's definitely heart in this in terms of people cared about making this movie but you know the studio didn't (laughs) you know it's so and to me and i would argue that studios probably never care (laughs) but to to this one it just it seemed pretty obvious um so let's see uh what what was the original 27 27 on rotten tomatoes (sighs) you know what man just just because like i said it while it's not terrible but it's not good i'll give it a 30 i'll just round up to a 30 oh, you're going to 30 yeah, okay. i actually give it a higher rating than what it was given Jeez. Okay, because yeah, that's true. I, because yeah. like i said wasn't bored for like the first half hour yeah. of this movie but then by the hour mark i was like okay when's it gonna end and realized holy shit there's another hour yeah. so just yeah. again it just suffers from being way too long and just not a lot of originality from the first one yeah my biggest problems with this movie is one it doesn't you said it is kind of Christmassy, but at the same time, like there aren't a lot. Like there's no snow, which in a shot in New York, there's barely any snow in there except for a few like exterior shots with with in the the park and stuff. I got news for you, but it doesn't snow that what? much in New York City. Oh, shit, yeah. dude. <laughs> well, I thought it was just because it was in the Northeast. Maybe they got some. Nah, not on New, shit, not in New York. Oh City. yeah, not in December. Not either, in New probably. York City. Yeah. Well, fuck, dude. I mean, well, it does snow there, it just but just not that much. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The, I guess the basic point I'm trying to make is that the Christmas spirit doesn't seem heavily involved in the movie. The first mm-hmm. one is very much centered around family and 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 the holiday itself. And this one, I almost wish they would have either gone more Christmassy or gone the other route where it's like lost in the city. Yeah. And um, he really exploits the whole like kid with all this money, like he could do whatever he wants. And instead, there's really just that one scene with like I ordered a lot of stuff off of room service, but like there's nothing and, like exploited. a limo, and, a limo. And I went to the toy store, like yeah, that was it. And yeah. he really doesn't even do anything at the toy store. Like I get that arc would make a lot more sense if by the end of it he had done a lot more shit and spent a lot more money and, and been a little more reckless, right? Um, and so I almost wonder if they should have just made a Home Alone Lost in New York, not set around Christmas time and you could just completely yeah. separate yourself from that. And it's just a, a kid fish out of water type of scenario. Well, So it's funny you say that because it almost seemed like they were scared to me. Like the yeah, whole no, they point were. of this, the whole point of Kevin McAllister's arc in this is that he feels like he's been a bad person. Like he was mean to his mother and his family. Yeah. Um, he was selfish and all of this. They didn't really commit to that though, because yes, he does like spend all of his parents money without telling them that he's in New York city. Um, but then he gets like to the toy store and he immediately donates to charity yep. and children's hospital. And it's like, well, is he a bad person or isn't he? Yeah. yeah. And so I, I, I agree with you there. I just feel like uh, they needed to pick a theme 
and just stick with it. And it didn't necessarily have to be Christmas. If you wanted him to be Scrooge, make him Scrooge. Sure. But you're right. If I think a better story there probably would have been just like, no, he's just a rich kid who's like out in the city doing whatever he wants. Probably would have appealed to a lot more people. Ultimately, I think the characters in the first movie are better. The story's more concise and it's more contained just to that simple house. And and I could cop so much of this movie if it just was written with with an adult sense of mind, like where, where a parent watching this movie doesn't have to literally throw their brain away with all the contrivances and coincidences, and it's just the first movie was just a contained story with a with a simple mess up mess up, I guess that that, mm. that could happen to any family. Like this could not happen. There's no, no fucking there's way no this way series this of events would occur anybody, in this way. Yeah. And so it's just, I don't know. I'm torn between do they want us to do they want this rooted in like a a family setting or is this more of a cartoony slapstick violent dark comedy like right. I don't know bottom line the first movie in my opinion gets like a 70 a 75 I really enjoyed that movie mm. I think it's a, a a movie that I'll watch every Christmas from now until fucking croak wow. Home Alone 2 I'm gonna give it a, I'm gonna give it a f- 35. 35? I, okay. I, I want to give it higher because I really wanted to like this movie more than I did. Like, with each passing minute, I kept, like, thinking, like, damn, like... Yeah, but, dude, how many times have we watched a movie no, in this podcast true. and just been like, oh, I wanted to like that so much more? <laughs> this one, and I feel like this is actually the case with a lot of these Christmas movies that we're going to be re- revisiting. Yeah. Dude, a lot of these Christmas movies are kind of shitty when you rewatch them because they're just so, like, as long as they have Christmas, they think that's enough that they can put it in the theater. Well, like, I don't want to sound just like... something to watch around the holidays. I don't want to, like, sound like that guy who, like, sits in the corner of a party, like, lighting a cigarette and being, like, everything's shitty. But, like, that's... I mean, Christmas movies are what they are, man. They're not... They're to get you into the seat. Yeah. They, like, I, they're feeding off... They're feeding ones. off of your uh, holiday ambition and... Yeah, that it, sense it, of... You know, that sense of, like, I want to feel love. like... I want to feel Christmas... And, and, and like you know, that's that is what it is, and I feel like we're going to see that a little bit this month. I hope not. I hope we see Christmas movies that were genuinely saying that was a good film that just happened to be centered around Christmas. Well, I hate to disappoint you, guys. Next say, week, think, yeah, <laughs> is not the case. No, sir. Tell the people oh, what man. we are listening to. We are going to be checking out 2000's Dr. Seuss's "How the Grinch Stole Christmas." And I said listening to. I meant watching. You'll be listening Damn, to us, dude. Talking about this, that movie. Whew, man. All right, <laughs> dude. What is Cindy Lou Who's song that she sings? That's just "Where Are You, Christmas." Where are you, Christmas? Yeah, that's White Girl Anthem around December. <laughs> Dude, they're all wearing yeah, exactly big puffy earmuffs and the uh, yeah, yeah I, oh pumpkin God, spice there's lattes. So dude. many questionable decisions made in this film. I can't wait to get to it. Man. It's going to be Ron so Howard crazy. directed this movie. It's, it's crazy. Insane. He's got the Han Solo movie. Good luck. <laughs> Just kidding. Oh, I can't wait to see that. And right. I can't wait to rewatch this one because it's been a, uh, a couple years. I'd say a couple years. I've oh, caught it on TNT been, it's a lot. Definitely or been a couple, it's definitely been a couple years. I like. I never fully commit to watching this movie after. I saw it the first time. Ooh. Yeah. Well, because I only see it on TV. I'm like, oh, I saw that watch one that. in theaters, dude. Yeah. Saw that one in theaters. Yeah. Well, we want to thank everybody for uh, listening. Home Alone 2 itself is actually celebrating its 25th anniversary, so pretty crazy, dude. But That's th- crazy, and this is also, I think, our 25th episode. Isn't that weird? Is it really? I think so. No shit, dude. Yeah. No, Pretty did. sweet. Pretty sweet, dude. Can't believe we lived to 25. I'm shocked as hell. <laughs> Speaking of which, you can listen to us at nbd.podbean.com. That is where we are originally hosted. You can also find us on iTunes. Don't forget to listen, share, and 
subscribe and please, please, please write us a review. Uh, just tell us what you think of the show, what we could be doing better, what you like about it. <laughs> we just like feedback and all just to let someone's listening out there in that big black void. Yeah, we like to know that we're not just talking to ourselves, that people are actually maybe listening to us. <laughs> Anyone? Please. You can also send us an email. Uh, tell them what the email is, Brandon. It's uh, nostalgiabedamnedpod at gmail.com. Send us uh, some suggestions because we might be using them later on. We just like to hear from people about movies. So yeah, drop got, us a line. If you got any questions for us, we'd like to do a, a mailbox one day or a mailbag one yeah, day. Yeah, for sure. Ask us anything and we might be able to answer it for you. We might actually, maybe maybe for the last episode, for the last couple of minutes of our uh, December episode, we might chat about maybe some of our favorite Christmas movies. Some of the good ones you ought to check out this that year. That would be nice. All right, so that really kind of does it for everything else here. Uh, let's just go ahead and get the plug out of the way. Brandon's favorite part of the podcast. Uh, Brandon, so um, a lot of people are investing in these security systems for their homes because they want to stay safe. Sure. Uh, you know, it's a scary world out there. Especially around the holidays. Absolutely. Um but there, there's a couple problem with these home security systems. One, they're pricey. They are really expensive. Mm-hmm. And two, you got to let somebody in your home to install these, and they got to know the code. Uh, there's just yeah. uh, there's a lot of risks there. A lot of stuff just I wasn't right thinking there. about right there. Well, Brandon, what would I? What would you say? If I told you there's a security system where nobody has to know any code mm-hmm. and nobody has to come in, and mm-hmm. you're protected 24 hours a day. 24 hours a day? Seven days a week. I would say that's a steal. Well, guess what, Brandon? G-Gen Security, a.k.a. Greatest Generation Security, is the new security system for families. Or maybe if you just have an apartment, you're living in a bachelor pad, you don't want people breaking in. G-Gen Security puts an actual member of the Greatest Generation outside of your door and has them sit and stare at the door all day long. And if someone tries to break in, they just scream at the top of their lungs. It's either going to scare away a bandit or, you know, someone's going to call the cops because right. there's an old person screaming right outside okay. the door. So this is an old, when you said greatest generation, I wasn't aware of which generation. Maybe you were talking about young. I, so you mean like old, like, no, like, like World of War the, II? Yeah, World War era? II era, like greatest generation. Okay. And they're going to sit outside of your home apartment. Yes. Well, being from the greatest generation, they are the most trusted, a.k.a. the greatest generation. Sure. Are they the most vigilant, though? Uh, well, at G-Gen, they only secure the best members of the greatest generation to watch your house. Uh, they will just sit outside. Uh, some of them might even have a whistle because, you know, they are old. They don't really have the, the lung capacity to scream, but they might sit out there with a whistle and they're just going to watch your house or your your apartment and they'll uh, they'll just signal when someone's trying to break in. And they swap out shifts and everything? Or oh, no, it's the same person. One person out yeah, there. Yeah, it's the same person. You know. Time. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's good. You don't ever have to give them a key. You don't have to give them a security. Um, and just, you're you're covered. And it's a pretty low price. It's only 20 bucks a month. Well, that's cheaper than putting your uh, dad in a home. Mm-hmm. You could have him out there uh, protecting your home. Yeah, which, by the way, if you want to submit a member of the greatest generation to work for G-Gen, because that they are about bringing local jobs back into the economy. Finally. If you, if you would like, uh, if you have a candidate for G-Gen security, you can just email them at ggen.aol.com. The greatest generation outside protecting our homes. Right over to the left. Great movie. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. (laughs) Thank you for listening, everybody. Have a good one.
Decoration 